How do you live like this? Uh, let's just say when it's just Colin and I here, I'm wearing a lot less layers. Uh. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to BC is Creepy. I'm Ariel Hansen. And I'm Topher Graham. And today is an Ariel episode. You're going to teach us about something cool, right? Yeah. Um, so today we are going to be discussing a murder. <gasps> My favorite. That didn't happen in Vancouver or the island. Cool. Yeah, we're uh, branching out. A little bit. Northwards, you might say. <laughs> How north? Um, so the town that this happened near was called Clearwater, which is southeast of Prince George, but north and slightly to the east of Kamloops. Oh, okay. So it's between those two. Deep in the interior. Yep, yeah. Closer to Alberta than to the coast. Oh. For those of you who don't know, Alberta is my home province. Yeah, so... <laughs> so we're getting a little closer to home. Except, will you ever be able to tell a hometown story? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. If maybe if we if we run out of BC topics, yeah. we might need to... If BC stops being creepy, we can go be creepy in Alberta. Yeah. There we go. Now, uh... Oh my gosh, why again? Mm. <laughs> Ariel put down her beer and it just started flooding all over the place. Yeah, it, it was very inappropriate looking. Can you grab those tea towels from that basket? Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's just a waste of beer too. Uh, those those are what I need. Alcohol abuse? Yeah. How am I abusing alcohol? By throwing it on the ground. I'm not throwing it. It just keeps foaming up. Resident bartender Ariel Henson, everybody. <laughs> Oh, I should have just poured it into a glass. Oh, well. You just have to leave a little bit of space when you're drinking it. A little bit of space for what? For air to get in. What do you mean? Continue I... with your story, okay. please. Oh, I just need to finish cleaning this up. Okay, so our story starts on August 2nd, 1982, when a family was going to go off on a camping trip. It was supposed to be for two weeks. Uh, it was six people, so there was the grandparents, George and Edith Bentley. Yeah. Parents, Jackie and Bob Johnson. Yeah. And then two kids, Karen, who was 11, and Janet, who was 13. Are they local to the, the town they're yes. going to or coming in? Yeah, I think they're from the area. And what occurred takes place in a park that's north of the town of Clearwater. So they were, you know, going camping for the weekend. They were familiar with the area. Or not for the weekend, for weeks. But it was an area that they knew. So they went for a two-week camping trip. But three weeks after they left, when Bob didn't show up for work, they reported him missing to the police. Uh Yeah. So there were a lot of people who thought that, you know, maybe they were lost... Yeah. They could have run away to join a cult or joined a commune. Well. Yeah. None of those sound very satisfying. Or likely. (laughs) (laughs) So this is when uh, Detective Mike Easton got a call that he was going to be on this case. He was with the RCMP. And he didn't know it at the time, but it turned out that this was going to be the most expensive investigation in Canadian history up until that point. Oh, gosh. So we've probably had more expensive investigations since then. But But what are we looking at? I didn't get a number, actually. Oh. Yeah, no, they just said it's the most expensive. (laughs) That means we're doing, like, hunts, manpower, going around with, like, people and combing the areas and forensics. 
Yeah. Sorry, I was just staring at my beer to make sure it didn't do that thing again. <laughs> but yeah. So, on September 13th, it was in the forest of Wells Gray Provincial Park. Yeah. And this was a month after the family was supposed to have returned home from their trip. Jeez. Oh, a mushroom picker found the Johnson's burnt-out car with the body inside. And there were lots of bone fragments that were obviously human, and they were either from one or two bodies, and it was in the back seat. Oh, no. It keeps getting better. Got a family missing and only two bodies. Until they open the trunk. So the detective takes a crowbar and he flicks that trunk open, and inside the trunk they found the skeletons of two children. No. So that's the two little girls. And at this point, of course, they don't know who the two bodies are, whether it's the grandparents or the parents. Okay. So it's still missing person as well as <laughs> murder. murder now. And also there was definitely an accelerant used in setting this car on fire to create the intense amount of heat that burned it. Well, it's to get rid of forensic evidence, right? Exactly. Although they were able to tell, even with like the car being burned out and everything, that people had been shot oh. from the bone fragments. Now, I already sort of gave us a little geography lesson, so this park is north of Clearwater, which is north of Kamloops, and southeast of Prince George, so it's sort of middle of the province-ish. A little bit further south than the middle. Now, uh, Mike Easton, the lead detective, he decided that it was going to be really important to get the media involved with this case to help them solve it. So they were very open with the media about getting attention, and they, in fact, were at some point soliciting media attention to try and get this case out there because he's a detective who's of the opinion that the public solves cases. So So. we're looking to get the public involved. We're telling them these are the events that happened. Exactly. This is what we're looking for. If you know anything, please let us know. Well, it's because, you see, they found the car of the Johnsons, but the Bentleys, who were the grandparents, they had a truck with a camper that has not been found yet. Oh, so they need to get, okay, crowdsourcing information. Yeah, because also, I mean, like, say the grandparents did it, and then they drove off in their (laughs) camper, you'd find them. Or if someone else did it, then the camper's gonna help them figure out who it was. Now, that also leads us to what happened. So the coroner Mm -hmm. eventually gets to the scene of the crime. Yeah. And they look around, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't have the remains of four bodies. We've got the remains of more than that. Got the remains of six bodies. So the whole family was in that burned out car. Oh, and then the truck stolen. Yeah, the truck with the camper, which also has a boat on top, is stolen. So now they eventually get a report from a park ranger that he had seen the grandparents' camper at a campsite at Bear Creek. So we've got this really big park where the car was found is one spot, and this Bear Creek campsite is another spot. They're kind of, they're they're a fair distance from each other. Okay. Yeah. So then the detectives go to this site, and they find six twenty-two caliber shells at the campsite. Okay, so they found the murder spot. Yeah, basically. Because they also found bottle caps from Bob's favorite beer. Yeah. So they were like, okay. Hold on, Bob. Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson. The dad. Dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So they found the murder site, but they still don't have the camper. Crap. <laughs> yeah. Now, after this point, 
they've sort of, like they've been working with the media to get some publicity going. People across the country are sort of starting to learn about it. And they receive random reports from people across the country that this camper and truck are traveling across the country. How far does it go? We'll get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> Now, a waitress in Clearwater also contacts them around this time, and she says that she saw two men with French-Canadian accents driving that truck and camper a few months back, so around the time of when the murders would have happened and stuff, which leads these uh, investigators to believe that they must be, like, you know, driving home to Quebec or something. They're taking the vehicle with them. So this is where they do something fairly creative. Yeah. Yeah. RCMP. Yeah, so the RCMP, these detectives, they found the exact same model of truck and the same model of camper in a really similar boat. And they assembled all that together. And then they put signs on either side that said, if you've seen this truck and camper before, <laughs> then please call your local police. Yeah. And then they proceeded to drive it across Canada, <laughs> following the route that they believed the perpetrators were taking based on the reports they'd received. Okay, so now we know where the money's going. Yep. Yep. And also, with each stop that they were doing, before they got there, they were doing media coverage in the major cities. So they'd go ahead of the truck, basically to let people know it was coming through, so people would come and try to see it, and then be like, have I seen that? (laughs) Yeah, I totally have seen that. (laughs) That's getting to be, like, pretty big publicity stunt. Yeah. So at the time, this was, if not the, one of the biggest mass murders in Canadian history. Yeah. So, like, an entire three generations of a family wiped out. From one camping trip. Yep. So, when they were on this journey, they eventually talk to this mechanic-type dude who gives them a lead, says that he met these two guys, that they took the camper off of the truck, and they were getting him to paint it, and then they wanted to know where they could get rid of this (laughs) gun, and... He was all like, well, I've had trouble with the law in the past. I don't want to get involved with this. You could get rid of the gun in Detroit, probably. Uh, okay, so we got some huh, shadiness. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, this opens up a whole new can of worms, because if they went to Detroit, that means that... They have to get involved with the U.S. Uh, authorities. And they're supposed to get all this permission and everything. Oh. No. Now, Mike Eastham, he was like, fuck that, I'm just going to go and go to Detroit and talk to the police there and get them on our side right away. <laughs> Luckily, before he ever like left Canada or anything like that, he got another call. Okay. And it was on October 18th of 1983 that he received this call. So it's been a full year of investigating already. Correct. Yep. Investigating, buying cars, driving them through the country. Yep. So this call told them that they had found the camper. Was it painted? No. It was in the original park. Oh, God. Where, back in BC, <laughs> near Clearwater. And it I can w- imagine that scene on, like, True Detective, like, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> yeah. And so the camper was parked on top of Trophy Mountain, which was in the same park, but it's, again, a distance away from the other two sites. Like, if you put them on a map, it makes a triangle, basically, of these different sites. Do they know if it was, like, moved there after the fact, or yeah. if it was always there? No, it was moved there because the cases were at Bear Creek. Yeah. So that's where the shooting had happened, and that was also where the camper had been parked because that's where the family was camping because they liked secluded campsites. 
Secluded campsites. Don't do it. Except they're so pretty. Yeah, but you can get murdered. You can get murdered in your own house. Fair enough. <laughs> you can't live your life in fear. So the camper was on Trophy Mountain, and it had gotten stuck on some logs on its way to going into a gorge. Uh, so they were so, trying to ditch it. Yeah. Because it's the high, most publicized oh, yeah. <laughs> mass murder all across Canada, these yeah. guys. Everyone knows what this camper and truck look like. Yeah. If you Even if you just had the truck without the camper, people would still be reporting it. Yeah, so they're spooked. Yeah. They're on the run. Yeah. So what happens next? So next, so because they, like, whoever did this knew about this gorge on top of the mountain, they knew the area, so they figured that it has to be a local since they seem to know the area pretty well. So that's when they start doing, like, you know, door-to-door knocking, talking to all the locals, really getting a lot of information from them. Clear water. Yeah. It's not a big town, though. How big? I looked on the map. It's got two hotels. <laughs> well, that's... Looked like it had, like, enough. ten <laughs> streets. <laughs> all right. So very small town. But um, while they were doing all this door knocking, talking to people, one of the young detectives knocked on a door, and this guy answered. His girlfriend or wife comes up behind him as the detective's starting to talk to him, and they mentioned that they knew about there being a bullet hole in the camper that they'd found on Trophy Mountain. So they had talked about finding the camper on Trophy Mountain. That part, the public all knew, but they were very deliberate to not mention that there was a bullet hole in the door of it. So that the killer would slip up and... Yeah, or that anyone who mentions that isn't just making shit up. That's more so what it was, is to be like, okay, if people mention this detail, they actually know something. So they mentioned that they had heard about this from a guy named David. So the detectives then followed up and, well, they found out from them that the man's name was David Shearing and he was a logger with a thing for young girls. Oh no. And he happened to live right in the middle of the three crime scenes. Oh, children. Yeah. Did you see a picture of this guy? Does he look creepy? I mean, I, so I watched, like, a true crime show, so, of course, I picture the actor reenacting him more, who does not look like him. Anything like him. But, like, the actor has a big beard. The actual person just had a mustache. <laughs> so. But they're both creepy looking in different ways. And, yeah, so he lived at a house, like, right in the middle of the triangle formed by the three crime scenes. Okay, but that's... Coincidence. <laughs> that is coincidence, but uh, some other things. He also had a criminal record. Yeah. And uh, when they were looking to find him, to talk to him, he was actually, at that time, he was supposed to be in court in Tumblr Ridge uh, on stolen property tr- charges. So the investigators found him there, and they started talking to him. And Mike Easton, he, you know, was getting the guy comfortable in their conversation and everything. And during that interrogation, like, he admitted, like, before we even got to anything to do with these missing, murdered, not missing, we found the bodies, so, these murdered people. Yeah. This guy admits to having committed a hit and run. Uh. Yeah, like, he hit a guy and then just drove off. He admitted this to the police in the interrogation? Yes. Yes. Uh. 
So that was like a red flag in the detective's head, and he was like, well, definitely going to see if I can get anything, any more information out of this guy, because that is not a good sign. So it's just like a whirlwind of crime. <laughs> yeah, and apparently he came from like a good family. So like his dad was a prison guard, and his brother had some respectable job, and like his family were all good people, and then there was him. Oh, people aren't good or bad. No. Actions are good or bad. <laughs> okay, well then, none, are fluid. none of his family members committed crimes. crimes. And so then our wonderful detective brought up the murder site and talking about like the case, <laughs> like finding the casings there and stuff. And so David Shearing at that point uh, mentioned how he didn't like Bear Creek. No. The public didn't know that the murder site was Bear Creek. <laughs> so he incriminated himself. Yep. Oh, nuts. Yep. And the detective in the interview that I saw, he's like, and at that moment I could see in his eyes, oh crap, I shouldn't have said that. I'm just imagining this detective as Will Graham. I mean, the actor that played him in the reenactments, he was like a hot dad, kind of. <laughs> like, older than Will Graham. But, like, think pretty much older Will Graham. All right, all right. Well, how old was he during this time? Uh, I think he was, like, he wasn't too far away from retirement at that time. But, yeah, so he was, like, less than ten years away from retirement. Okay, so, so he's he, old. And, well, <laughs> old Will Graham. Yeah, he's experienced. <laughs> he's done a lot of murder cases. More like Jack Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, after some more pressing in the interrogation, Shearing then confesses to killing the whole family because he just wanted to have their stuff. Uh, I mean, but then he ditched all their stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He claimed, I just wanted, you know, the car and the camper and the boat and some tools. (laughs) I took the boat and the tools, but then when there was all the news about the camper, I knew I had to get rid of the camper. Doesn't sound like a smart man. We'll get to this. (laughs) So he was officially arrested on November 19th, 1983. Yeah. Um, Because he pled guilty, there wasn't a super long trial or anything. He was convicted. Yeah. And he received the most intense sentence for second degree murder in Canada. So he got six concurrent life sentences. Oh. And 25 years without the possibility of parole. Okay. And now... So wait, yeah. six life sentences, huh, and then, but up to just 25 years? Yeah, twenty. well, 25 years is when you become eligible for parole. Yeah. But then, like, you have to have parole hearings and everything, and you can get denied. You can get denied even your application to get a parole hearing. Okay, but already he's just going to be in prison for, like, six times over. That's what the sentence is, but after 25 years he can apply for parole. Okay. But it's like if you keep, if basically he can only get out if he gets parole because of the six concurrent life sentences. Yeah, he can't be released normally. Yeah, because he would never complete his sentence. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lesson in the justice system of Canada. I might be getting that all wrong though, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> but um, Mike Easton, detective of the RCMP, he didn't believe this guy's motive. It just seemed really weak. Yeah. So after the conviction happened, he pressed him further because he was like, listen, bud, just tell me it's not going to change. Your sentencing has already happened. It's not going to change anything. Yeah. Why'd you kill these people? Just tell me. So he does tell him. And it turned out that he killed the parents, killed the grandparents, 
And then he sexually abused little girls for oh. either nine or ten days before killing them. Oh, no. Yeah, so that was his real motive. So he didn't get parole, right? Well, he became eligible for parole in 2012, and so far all of his applications have been denied. And Mike Easton, the lead detective, says that he is going to do his best to always be involved in every parole hearing for this guy to make sure he never gets out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> and that is... <laughs> that is the... the most famous or most expensive murder in Canada. Most expensive investigation most... in Canada up until 1983 when it happened. Awesome. Yeah. So that's pretty creepy. Yeah. BC murderers, middle of the back end town campsites. Yep. Yeah. It was. It was nice. So I had two sources for this. Yeah. Um, my main one is actually a TV show on CBC. What's it called? It's called The Detectives. Oh. And every episode, I guess, is a different investigation. And what it is is it's a combination of interviews with the actual detective and dramatizations, but like with high production value and like recognizable actors. I've worked on this show like that before. Yeah. Only like really low production. So value. the opposite. So yeah. <laughs> other end of the thing, but it was something like Untold Stories of the ER. It was called Murder She solved oh and it was just like true crime stories that were solved by women okay (laughs) but yeah no it was kind of fun because it was like a four-person crew going out and doing these reenactments and all the reenactments were like out of focus (laughs) and to the side and then they'd have the interviews that they did earlier on (laughs) yeah well i felt like the reenactments in this were definitely i felt like they were respectful of the victims and stuff they didn't show the actual like there's no blood or anything like they didn't show the people actually fall down and die. It's hard to decide how far you should go yeah. with true crime. Well, I think also because their focus is more on the investigation yeah. than the crime. Yeah. I think that also helps. Um, my other source was Murderpedia. Yeah. Yeah. Learn all about them murders. <laughs> I love Murderpedia. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, what's this? I think this was my first. No, it was, I've looked at it before to do with something else, but. You, this is your first time doing a murder. Yeah, this is my first, <laughs> my first creepy BC murder. More to come, I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, especially with that book my mom gave us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So on the weekend, we, we... premiered our. No, they weren't premieres. Okay. They weren't premieres. <laughs> we screened. It was a private screening. To our friends and crew. And cast. And cast. Um, our bad cookie combo. Yeah. <laughs> as well as other films that we'd worked on in the past year. Time Heals No Wounds and Parlor Tricks and Tune In for Murder and Relaxing Rituals ASMR. Yep. And then our cast and crew finally got to see Nepenthes and The Devil and I. Mm-hmm. As well as some other fun stuff we threw in there for them. I love those bits. <laughs> those were fun. I just need to... We just need have a little mix session to get the levels proper and then we'll be able to make those dvds so coming at you soon yeah more bad cookies stuff yeah well another thing that was really cool is that the same day that we were having our screening nepenthes actually it did premiere yeah but in portland in portland the portland horror film festival nice yeah which i was i wasn't expecting to get into that so that was (laughs) cool um but yeah so that was like a big screening we filled up the venue we used all the chairs that there were and so people had to stand to watch the films we couldn't keep the 
the headset like long enough so that everybody could see both VR films. We uh, yeah yeah it was busier than we expected for sure. So much busier, and so my parents came over from Victoria for it, and my mom brought us a couple of books. Yeah. yeah, so I've, I've got one that's like creepy campfire. Nope, that's no. the one I've got. Oh, I've got like murders and... Yeah. <laughs> murders, Western Canada murders. I think yours is specifically BC. Mine might be BC. I yeah. should read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I was looking through the one that I got to see if there was a good topic for today. I got the one that is ghost campfire stories from western canada so a lot of ones that aren't applicable to us like saskatchewan manitoba and alberta but but there's a few that i'll probably that we'll probably be able to use and i'm really excited to delve into this this book so many murders i know it's my episode next week yeah yeah should we do two murders in a row um probably not i think i gotta get out of vancouver yeah (laughs) so next week looking forward to telling you guys something (laughs) (laughs) in bc outside of vancouver be better than me don't (laughs) pick your topic day of (laughs) no although i've made up my sheets like day of i usually research beforehand and then compile all my information uh i totally just do the compiling as i'm researching i mean that's I also just like watching documentaries. (laughs) But I I just really like having an idea of everything and then revisiting it with a mind to to nitpick all the information. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like this is the second time that I've just found a documentary and watched (laughs) it and paused it, written down notes, get going again. So that was a brief insight into our process. Yes. <laughs> Creative process. Different, well, research process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because writing a script is totally different than that. Totally. Yeah. <sighs> Do we have anything else coming up that's exciting? Your birthday's coming up soon. Yeah. Gonna By the old. time this airs, I'm going to be 29. Yeah. Basically 30. Pretty much. You just round up. Yep. So send me, you know, birthday messages. Hashtag bagged cookie pictures and send them, <laughs> let us know you're listening. Send them depressing birthday memes <laughs> about getting old. Yeah, basically like... But we want to <laughs> induce an existential crisis, basically. I'm already having an existential crisis since coming back from Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need another one on top of that. <laughs> I still just remember how... Bad it was. I think it was my twenty fifth birthday. No, twenty fourth birthday. There was crying. Twenty fourth is an excellent age. I know. I didn't feel. I was like, I'm so old, and I haven't done anything. It's like, no, young Ariel, you're doing fine. You're doing yeah. fine. But thirty, I'm gonna start losing all of my like abilities to get the youth visas, and I'm gonna like gonna lose my hair. I'm start to go gray <laughs> i know that at least australia youth visas are like into your 30s yeah well a lot of them end at 30 then there's some that are 31 and then there, there's like the absolute latest ones that are like 35 yeah <sighs> until you're like getting married or have like real jobs abroad <laughs> real nightmares jobs. <laughs> <laughs> nightmares yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, so be sure to check us out on the social medias. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon. We have our own website. We're on YouTube, Vimeo. Yeah, we got it. Gmail. 
<laughs> yeah, bad cookie pictures for all those things. Uh, if you've got suggestions for topics, please email us at badcookiepictures at gmail.com. And if you want to find like specific to each of us kind of stuff on the social medias, I'm on everything as at Hanson's Horror. And I'm on everything as Sneezing Wolf, so you can find me. Don't bother with his Twitter. It's boring. <laughs> it's nothing. We don't need to say that every episode. Very true. We should probably just stop mentioning that you even have it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just say that you're on Instagram from now on. I'm on Instagram. It's kind of fun. I do a lot of stuff. You do do a lot of stuff. You travel a lot. I, I, yeah. I love to travel. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. I ain't got no money to travel. You don't need money. You just need to get rid of your attachment to things and places. Okay, that was another episode of BC is Creepy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, enjoy whatever you're up to today, and be sure to stay creepy.